Well, if you would turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 32, as we continue our series through Book 1 of the Psalter, um, David has faced many sorrows related to his enemies. Um, His conflict has been with the world, and he's uh, expressed deep pain um, throughout this uh, before the Lord, laying it out in prayer. But here, David's conflict is with another enemy. It's with the enemy of himself. David's adversary in this psalm has been his own flesh. So likely the occasion for this psalm is David's repentance after his adultery with Bathsheba, recorded in 2 Samuel 11. David's sin was awful. It was adultery uh, with Bathsheba, um, seeing her, desiring her, and then taking her for himself, and then when finding that she's pregnant, um, arranging the, the cover-up, having her husband killed. David's sin was awful. David's pain was also awful. He concealed his sin and for nine months lived in inner torment of that unconfessed sin. And so after Nathan the prophet came and confronted him, David truly repented and he was truly restored before the Lord. And so here in our psalm this evening, he sings of God's power to pardon us. And so our hope is that this would stir us to a hatred of our own sin and prompt us to be repentant, faithful people. And so before we read, let's pray together. O Lord, to whom shall we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. Would you make us to profit from your word this evening? Would you teach us? Would you reprove us? Would you correct us and train us in righteousness? You have breathed out this word. And so let us hear diligently and let us put your word into practice with all zeal. Lord, we love you. Would you help us as we pay attention to your word this evening? It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. I invite you to stand with me for our scripture reading from Psalm 32. Hear the word of the Lord. A mass kill of David. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledge my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Selah. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. Selah. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord, and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright 
in heart. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the Word of our God will stand forever. Amen. You may be seated. After almost a year of covering up his sin, the Lord sent David the prophet Nathan, and Nathan came with a parable. Nathan's parable was about a poor man with a beloved lamb. And a rich man who could have any lamb that he wanted robbed the poor man and killed his beloved. The parable, when David hears it, it stirs up wrath in him. He hates what he's heard. How could such a powerful, blessed man ruin another man by stealing his beloved? Well, Nathan returns with those powerful words, that verdict on David You are the man. And David's response in 2 Samuel 12 might surprise first-time readers because David immediately says, I have sinned against the Lord. And when you read that the first time, you might be tempted to doubt David's sincerity. We can't see his face and maybe we wonder, is he truly repentant? This is a big sin and that seems really fast for him to say so quickly, I've sinned against the Lord. Well, 2 Samuel 12 says that David is truly repentant. Nathan responds immediately, the Lord has put away your sin. Well, Psalm 32 gives us an interesting window into David's heart leading up to this confrontation. For us, we we read of the terrible sin, and then we read that Uh, that uh, Nathan came and confronted David, but we don't read of those nine months in between. But here in Psalm 32, we get the details and a little bit of an insight into what David was thinking. In verse 3, he told us that his bones wasted away, that he was groaning all day long. Verse 4 says that he sensed the heavy hand of the Lord upon him the whole time. David was grieved by his sin. He was utterly unsettled in his conscience. But before Nathan came to David with this message, he'd not yet come to the Lord with a contrite heart. He had not come confessing that sin. He was only in his guilt. He was only despairing in his grief. And so in that moment of confrontation, In 2 Samuel 12, David unraveled and he unloaded the burden of his sin. He uncovered his sin for what it was and he found forgiveness in the Lord. And this is how we repent of sin. And this is what we find when we repent of sin. We uncover ourselves before the Lord. We name our sin for exactly what it is. And if we have come to Christ confessing our sin and trusting in Him, then He pours out His forgiveness on us. As we look at this psalm, notice the movement. We've got David's celebration that God delivered him in verses 1 and 2. Then David reflects on his misery. And then his confession of sin in verses 3 through 5. And then finally, we end with David and the Lord's counsel to all of us. What should we do with our sin? Well, let us see in 
Psalm 32. See first uh, with me the celebration. Uh, Verse 1, look there with me. It opens, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven. This psalm starts just like uh, Psalm 1 with the word blessed. And that Hebrew word can be translated happy. Uh, The blessed life is the life you want to have. In fact, it's the life that everyone is looking for. The world is looking for happiness, for joy. And it cannot be found in earthly things. What is the chief end of man? One of our Sunday school classes has been learning all about that. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Psalm 1, the man who is blessed walks with the Lord and not with the world. But we see in here in Psalm 32 that the blessed man, the only way to have the blessed life is to have your transgressions forgiven. Transgressions are the violations of God's law. And everyone has them. Everyone. All of us who are in Adam have violated God's standard. We are sinners by nature and by our actions. Blessedness is not something that you can get with transgressions in your hand. And so the question is, how do we get rid of our transgressions? How do we get rid of our guilt? Well, look at verse 1. They can only be forgiven. It is not a matter of work, of doing enough good work so that it outweighs our transgressions. It is not a matter of telling yourself affirmations until you forget that you ever did anything wrong or until you convince yourself that you really are a good person deep down. No, our transgressions can only be forgiven by the Lord or we are dead in them. Our only hope is to come to the holy God and ask for His grace. Verse uh, 1 continues, Blessed is the one whose sin is covered. This is what we can have with the Lord. This word is used twice in this psalm. In verse 5, David says, I did not cover my iniquity. And that may sound strange to you at first because David certainly did cover his sin for a while. He hid it from men successfully for nine months. But like Adam's fig leaves, they're inadequate for hiding from the Lord. Uh, Then his sin, which was always visible to God, was uncovered when the Lord sent his prophet Nathan. But this is the point. When David's sin was uncovered, he didn't seek to hide it anymore. And neither did he minimize it. He didn't say, well, it actually wasn't that big of a deal. He didn't seek to excuse himself. He didn't play any cards. He confessed all of his sin as sin before the Lord. And what did the Lord do? He covered his sin. David uncovered his sin that it might be covered by the Lord in his grace. And look at verse 2. It says, Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. For all those who think that in the Old Testament they, they didn't believe in grace or that they were somehow saved by works in the Old Testament and not by grace, uh, if anybody thinks that, you can give them this verse. That's what Paul does. Paul quotes this verse in Romans chapter 4. 
In Romans 4, verse 3, he's talking about Abraham, and he says, what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Abraham was saved by grace, through faith, by believing God. God counted, God credited righteousness to Abraham. And then Paul connects this to our psalm, Psalm 32, and he says, just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. And then he quotes, blessed are those who, whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will, count, will not count his sin. Now, Paul points out something really wonderful for us here. Not only did David understand that he was forgiven by the Lord, but that when the Lord forgave him of his sin, he also positively considered him righteous. The, the word for this is imputation. Righteousness is accounted to us despite what we've done. If, if we have come to Christ, we come bringing only our sin. And yet when we trust Him, He not only forgives our sin, He gives us His righteousness. Not that He magically turns us into righteous people who don't sin anymore, but He counts us, credits us righteous. In our sin, it is, it's not just that you have a bank account that has a negative balance. You are in debt in a currency that you can't pay because you don't have. Uh, you are in maximum debt and unable to pay. But then you come to Christ in repentance and faith. And He doesn't just bring your account back to zero so that you can start fresh. That, that's forgiveness of sin. But He fills your account with the maximum amount. That's righteousness given as a gift. And this is what Christ has accomplished on the cross for His people. He has covered our sin. He has put us away. He has put it away and he has given us his righteousness, calling us blessed, righteous, holy children of his. David in verse 2 continues, blessed is the man in whose spirit there is no deceit. John Calvin says that hypocrites want to continue in a particular evil and so they make a partial confession. He's saying that some people will admit that they do some things wrong, hoping to conceal the parts of their sin that they don't want to let go of, that are perhaps easier to get away with. Uh, they're sorry because they got caught, but they're not sorry in a way that goes all the way down to their heart. And indeed, there are some who will hear the talk of grace and of salvation by faith Christ's righteousness imputed to us, and, and they'll think, that's what I want. That sounds really good. Sign me up for that. But the same people might well be unwilling to confess their sin as sin. They're not willing to give up their sin. They see the law of the Lord, but will not change. They will not hate their sin and turn from it unto God with full purpose of and endeavor after new obedience. Do you hate your sin? How do you hate your sin? Well, David teaches us what that looks like. He teaches us in verses 3 through 5. See, secondly with me, confession. In verse 3, David starts, For when I kept 
silent. And and this silence is a description of that whole nine-month period between his sin with Bathsheba and then uh, him being rebuked by Nathan the prophet. Uh, He wasn't quiet with people during that period. He was going about business as usual. On the outside, people might have known, not, know, not have known anything differently. Uh, there, there may have been a wedding for him and Bathsheba. There may have been the daily obligations for the king. Uh, he's likely still meeting with counselors and commanders in the army and friends and even going to public worship. But all this time, he is dying inside and trying to ignore his sin. And this is the horror of hidden sin. David says in verse 3, For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. The the verb there for wasted away, we talked about it in uh, Psalm 31. It's used of a thing rotting or of something being eaten up by moths. Here in this description, the agony that David sensed of being alienated from God. And he continues in verse 4 to say, For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. God's hand did not let up from King David. Day and night he felt this heaviness on him. And notice the use of your hand here. Remember in our last psalm, Uh, the word hand was used several times and quite differently. In Psalm 31, David said, into your hand I commit my spirit and my times are in your hand. Those are hopeful descriptions of his relationship with the Lord. But Psalm 32 reminds us what Hebrews 10.31 says, that it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. God's hand blesses But for the believer, it also presses. God's hand can weigh heavy on us. His hand can even weigh awfully on our consciences. But that, friends, we should see is a blessing to us as well. God will not let us relax in our sin. He will not let us recline in our unrepentance. Why? Because sin leads to death. It produces all sorts of disaster in our lives. And so the Lord will not allow a believer to be comfortable in their sin. And friend, if you can relax with known sin, you must flee to Christ because it may be that you do not know Him. In the second part of verse 4, he says, my strength was dried up. The Hebrew is literally, my moisture was changed. The the image is like rich food that's gone stale. It's dried up. Or like a tree that's withering and perhaps coming close to death. It needs water desperately. David's saying he doesn't have much liveliness, much vitality left. What has the Lord done for David? What is David describing here? Well, the Lord has driven King David to the absolute end of himself. The absolute end of his ability to hope in himself. And David can't ignore his sin anymore. And if you're a believer, this is how you'll feel about sin. 
if you are not repenting of it. You, you will have a need to confess to the Lord. And if you find a lack of this, if you find a lack of, of remorse for sin, go to the Lord in prayer. Ask Him to help you hate your sin and to help you come to Him. Read His Word and see uh, in, in such uh, brilliant characters how our sin is painted and portrayed. Read the Gospels. See Christ dying on the cross and in the awful description of the crucifixion. See how terrible our sin is and what it required of the Son of God to do in order to pay for our sin. Because as surely as you see the, the, the horror and the terror of your sin, you'll see the majesty and the glory of Christ, the beauty of Him who sacrificed Himself, died and rose so that you could have life, so that your sin could be paid for, could be covered over by His grace. David needs to repent of his sin. And look what he does next in verse 5. I acknowledged my sin to you. Don't you want to take a deep breath for David at this point? This is more than David's mere recognition of sin, as if to say, I sinned, but don't we all? Calvin says that this is no mere remembering sin. Cain could remember his sin. Judas could remember his sin. But David regrets and he repents. He acknowledges sin for what it is and goes to the Lord. In verse 5, I did not cover my iniquity. He doesn't attempt to conceal it any longer. And then look in verse 5 at this determination, this declaration that he makes. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And notice there, he'll confess his transgressions, plural, to the Lord. There's no minimizing his sin. There's no excusing his sin. He is bringing all of it to the Lord. And what will happen? Verse 5, you forgave me the iniquity of my sin. Such a powerful phrase there. Such a powerful statement. No sooner did David truly confess that his sin was truly forgiven. When, when we are forgiven, our debt is immediately cleared. Like the paralytic can immediately jump up, like the leper is immediately clean, so the Lord rides the heavens and comes to our aid. He takes our sin and throws it into the sea. Now David had all sorts of consequences for his sin, both immediate and then throughout the rest of his life. He had earthly consequences for his sin. But his guilt before the Lord was clear. The Lord had restored him to himself. Their relationship was renewed. Friend, do you confess your sin? Do you confess particular sins particularly? Are you satisfied with just sort of a general broad brush stroke of repentance? Don't be. Ask the Lord to, to help you see if there is any grievous way in you. And as soon as you pinpoint some sin in your life, confess it to the Lord. And then the next one that He shows you, confess that too. And then the next one that He shows you, confess that too and keep going, keep going. 
bring every one of your sins to the Lord and ask Him to forgive you and to help you, to empower you by the Holy Spirit for new obedience. Some may say, well, I feel guilty. But there's a worldly grief that leads to death and despair. But there is a godly grief that leads to conviction of sin and repentance and life. It does us no good to sit and wallow in our guilt. Guilt doesn't save you. God saves you. By His grace, He saves you. And so go to Him. But I have sinned. That's the point. Go to Him, bringing your sin and confessing. Well, friends, consider David's... uh, now, Now that we've thought about David's confession of sin and his celebration of forgiveness, let's see the counsel that he has for us finally in verses 6 through 11. Uh, We'll we'll look at these very briefly. In verse 6, he says, Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. David is saying, here's the lesson. Everyone repent right now. Maybe you've heard of someone making light of sin and using David as a reason to do it. Some people think, well, David sinned really big and God forgave him. And so sin can't really be that big of a deal. Or maybe I can indulge sin for a little while and repent later and everything will work out fine. Hear David say in this verse, no, repent. Do not presume on the Lord's kindness. David is maybe even saying, don't presume on the Lord's kindness to me. The Lord was patient with me. But David would say that entire time was awful. And he's also saying here in verse 6, you don't know how long he'll give you. It's a very sobering line there. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. Perhaps this is an image taken from the flood. Noah was a herald of righteousness in that day when he was surrounded by a wicked generation while the ark was being built. There came a time when Noah and uh, the seven others went onto the ark with all the animals and God shut the door to the ark. And the rain fell and the water exploded up from the ground and it was too late to find refuge in the means that God had appointed. There was a rush of great waters. And anyone who wanted help at that point, it was too late for them to reach out. What, is, what are we to take from this verse? Well, when you die, it's too late to repent. Those who will not trust Christ and repent of their sin will face certain condemnation. All those who are outside of Christ should hear David say, repent now and don't wait. Now, is David here suggesting that a Christian, a true Christian, would be condemned? No. But but a Christian, by holding on to his sin, can make his life a real nightmare. You, You can be truly... Uh, you, you, can, you can be a Christian and yet have damaged relationships, broken trust, face all kinds of consequences. Uh, a Christian is not immune from these things. And so David is saying, repent of sin. You, you, you may think that you've got it under control. 
but it is already out of hand. And so run and repent to the Lord. And and there's something even worse than all of those natural consequences. David would say, worst of all, if you are not repenting of sin, you face the heavy hand of God's displeasure weighing down on you, draining your life of joy while you refuse to humble yourself and cry out to Him. We should also remember the sobering truth here that Pastor David talked about this morning, that a person can think they are a Christian, but but be like the rocky ground or the thorn-covered uh, over ground uh, and, and only think that they are a Christian, but really have no interest in repenting of sin. We must repent of sin. And if we do, God is a wonderful refuge for us. Look at these beautiful words in verse 7. David says, You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. What a contrast that verse is to the misery that David was explaining earlier. David earlier could find no relief, but now it's the Lord Himself who hides him. That's way better than the caves that David used to hide in when Saul was chasing him. And God is a greater refuge even than Noah's big ark or Moses' little one. David rejoices that God hides him. And he says, you preserve me from trouble. And notice even the trouble that David got himself into. And it's not that he preserved David so that he wasn't physically or emotionally harmed, that there weren't uh, terrible difficulties all around him. David was crushed and humiliated and grieved and exhausted. But God preserved David's soul. He did not abandon his soul to condemnation. The Lord preserved him. And David knows that the Lord will continue to preserve him until the very end. And finally, this wonderful statement, God surrounds David with shouts of deliverance. You might think of the exuberance of the Israelites after they cross the Red Sea and Pharaoh's army is dead behind them in the waters and the people sang, the horse and the rider you've thrown into the sea, that the Lord had delivered His people. The, the, the people sang and shouted this sound, this, uh, th- this praise of victory, but here it is, the Lord is shouting, surrounding David, in fact, with shouts of deliverance. Look how completely here God has taken David from mourning to gladness. And isn't it a lie from the devil that if we confessed our sin, if we gave up our sin, that we would be miserable. That we would find no help, that we'd find no encouragement, that we would find no joy. But in fact, the opposite is true. The Lord surrounds you with shouts of deliverance. He will, like Zephaniah 3.17 says, He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by His love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. This is what you receive when you leave your sin behind. This is what you receive when you repent and run to the Lord. You find His grace. You find, in fact, His song. 
will hear him speak to you in verses 8 and 9. Certainly this is uh, all the word of the Lord, but here in verses 8 and 9, the Lord specifically talks to his people. Uh, He is the speaker here in verse 8 when he says, I will instruct you and teach the way in which you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. God's eye, his watchful, intimate care is on you. It's on his people. The the Lord himself tells us the way that we should go. This is not David's advice. Well, this worked for me. This is the word of the Lord. God who sees your sin and corrects you also sees your sorrow and he comforts you. And in verse 9, he says to us, be not like the mule, the, the horse or the mule, without understanding which must be curbed with bit and bridle or will not stay near you. The, the analogy here that he's using is of a, is, it's one that comes up a lot in the Old Testament of a stiff-necked animal, one that can't be turned one way or another. It just wants to keep going its own way. It's this picture of terrible stubbornness. And if you think that's not very flattering to be compared to an animal, well, it's not supposed to be. The the Lord's saying, don't be like them. Reject this stubborn refusal to listen to God. And notice what he said, or or this animal will not stay near you. Ultimately, what's this analogy about? It's about staying near to the Lord. These are our options to go our own way with a stiff neck until we fall off a cliff or to stay near to our loving heavenly father. It means humbling ourselves. It means confessing our sin and coming to him. And if we do, he tenderly has us to walk beside him as he shows us his way. Well, David begins to speak again and he leaves us with this wonderful summary in verses 10 through 11. Uh, See here uh, the, the end with me in verse 10. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts the Lord. The, the, the wicked will only know sorrow upon sorrow. But for the one who trusts in the Lord, his steadfast love comes and surrounds him. And so the response to this, the, the, the response of being one who trusts in the Lord and then the Lord sings over us and surrounds us, our response is to sing right back. In verse 11, be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous. Shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Sing, you righteous. Sing, you upright. Can David really use these words to to describe himself? Well, he can. Because he has confessed his sin and his sin has been put away. And the Lord has counted him righteous, has called him upright. And you think David doesn't deserve that. He doesn't. And the Lord in his grace has done it. And that's what he has done for us. John Calvin says, David here teaches us that the happiness of men consists only in the free forgiveness of sin. Nothing can be more terrible than to have God as our enemy. But He is gracious to us in no other way than by pardoning our sins. Calvin's saying, 
that this is what the Lord does for us. We come to Him and He pours out His grace. All of us are sinners and there is only one thing to do. Come to Christ for grace. Crying out for it. If you've been a Christian for years, this is what we do. We continue to go to the Lord, confessing our sin and receiving His grace upon grace. And then, as we come to the Lord with our sin, perhaps sin that we're deeply ashamed of, uh, uh, deeply embarrassed by, we come to the Lord bringing that sin to confess. And we prepare ourselves to hear His songs and His shouts of deliverance as He pours out His mercy on us. Well, let's go to Him in prayer now. Oh Lord, we thank You that You hear us, that You love us, that You are with us. Lord, we confess that we are great sinners and we need Your pardoning grace. We thank You that in Christ, You've poured it out on us. Lord, help us to love Him and to rejoice in Him. And it is in His name that we pray. Amen.